Hey, welcome to the Conan Kruger Show. I'm Grant Cohn. That's Larry Kruger. The 49ers just finished their State of the Franchise event. I don't know. They don't even invite the media. So it's not really journalism, but they say stuff. And Kyle often can't get can't stop once he gets going. And I like to watch it. He said some interesting things. The whole the whole production was very interesting. So Larry, I'd like to ask you, what was your major takeaway from this? Well, it was interesting. I, I would say my big takeaway was that John Lynch kind of stated that there was a team that jumped in front of them in the draft and took a player they wanted. And I'm pretty much in the belief that that was at pick 60, where the Bengals traded up right in front of the 49ers and took uh, Cam Taylor Britt, who's a really good looking corner who played at Nebraska. Um, and he went one pick in front of Drake Jackson. So uh, I think that was what he was referencing there. And that that to me was interesting. Absolutely. I didn't expect that. They're always, they reveal much more than you would expect them to reveal about their draft process and stuff. My main takeaway from the state of the franchise is just comparing it to last year. Last year, like Greg Papa had this real kind of, like he's on the team and he expects to win the Super Bowl that year. He kept, every question was like, so you getting those 2019 vibes? It's a, it's a championship roster. <laughs> like, everyone was kind of blushing like, oh, stop. Like, yeah, you know, we're pretty good this year. They didn't talk about anything like that. No expectations. It was like, hey, let's talk about Frank Gore for a while. And did we mention that we're going to Mexico this year? That's going to be great. Oh, and Bryant Young, what a warrior he was. Nothing like, hey, we're going to be – this is what we're going to do. And it's like I just felt like they were kind of not even talking about expectations at all. Maybe that's a good thing. Well, yeah, let's talk about the mall that's going in next door instead of uh, Trey Lance. But I think I think that's their, you know, they're they understand that the history they know the history of rookie quarterbacks in the NFL, and essentially Trey's a rookie, so they're they be uh, they be setting him up for failure if they really drove the fan base into this strong narrative of man, it is Super Bowl or bust. Um, so I I think it's all kind of intentional to take pressure off Trey. Absolutely. Last year, they never mentioned his name in the state of the franchise. It was like they never drafted him, which was interesting because he was the first round pick. How do you ignore that elephant in the room? This year, they did. But I don't know if you were doing the same thing, but I came into it like, all right, let's see how long it takes for them to mention Trey Lance. I mean, I wanted to take like a full list of people they talked about before they got to Trey Lance. They talked about Clay Kubiak, Leonard Hankerson. I mean, they talked about like the ball boys. 55 minutes in, they got the Trey Lance. Now, they said some very nice things about Trey Lance, but it's clear, like, they don't want him to be the focus of the team right away, even though he is. Yeah, they did have the receivers talk about him. They had uh, Yuke and and Jennings talk about him. Um, yeah, so, and, and they threw some stuff in there and, and it was more about, you know, if you noticed, it wasn't about Trey, the player, it was about Trey, the person. Because I don't think they know what the player is yet, and so they don't want to make any definitive statements, and they don't want to they don't want to say anything about Trey the the player the Trey Trey the player TBD right it's still to be determined Trey the person though I think they feel like they can speak about and they did they yeah I mean absolutely I mean, Kyle actually had very nice things to say about him I mean he basically gave him all the praise that D'Amico gives Talanoa right he's extremely professional. Yes, yes, he's young, but he comports himself like an old, like a vet. And he said, even though he hasn't seen it yet, he really thinks he's going to be able to deal with all the pressure and adversity and compared him to Peyton Manning, who had an awful first season. Maybe that's what they're expecting from Trey Lance, <laughs> like 25 interceptions or something. Because like, he did invoke that. Did he not? 
Right. Yeah. No, he did. Like, oh my God. But, you know, the thing about Trey, though, is that's I think that is the right lane to stay in for Trey, because that's what you can speak definitively about. You know what? We think we got the right person. He's got a lot of talent and he loves the process. But we're not going to speak to the finished product yet because we don't really know what the finished product's going to look like. I don't know if you caught this, though. At the very end, Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings go up to the, to the stage. And the first thing Greg Papa asked them about is Trey Lance. And Brandon Ayuk, none of the hemming and hawing that Kyle Shanahan does. Like, though, he's a good guy. We'll have to see. But I think, but I don't know. But I really like Brandon Ayuk just comes, oh, yeah, from this to this to this to this. He says, we have a special quarterback. I never heard Brandon say that about Jimmy Garoppolo. I just wanted to say that. Like, why? Okay. All right. I think, well, there's no doubt. The one thing that we know for sure, Grant, is that that uh, Brandon Ayuk has put in a lot of reps in not just this offseason, but last offseason with Trey. So he's all in on Trey. I do find it interesting also that the two players the Niners picked to talk were the two players that know Trey Lance the best and can vouch for him the most. The two guys that spend all offseason with him. It's like they were brought out specifically to hey, say, say something nice about Trey. And they did, especially Brandon. Yeah. I mean, I felt that way the other day at minicamp when D'Amico started talking about Trey. It's like, yeah, he's throwing it by us, and he's doing this. And he, it was like, you know, you, they they were pouring it on thick with, you know, he's been really accurate. He's been really good. He's been really, you know. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. But I, I, saw a lot, I saw a player that I liked in minicamp. A little tangent real quick. As, a, as a, a sports writer thing, I've been thinking a lot about this. Usually you want to ask someone about the quarterback, and you go to the head coach or the offensive coordinator. Those guys often – don't want to be as they don't really want to tell you that much they're trying to figure out what not to say ask the defensive coordinator because it's like oh that's not his side of the ball but a lot of these defensive coordinators D'Amico Robert Sala they want to become head coaches and they understand that to be, be looked at in that light by other franchises they have to have something to say about quarterbacks they have to look like they know that position and so anytime I would ask Robert Sala about quarterbacks or Jimmy he would just go on and on and on in specifics much more than Kyle, D'Amico's the same way. I'm just saying that's a little pro tip. Ask the defensive coordinator about the quarterback. I think it's a good good trait just across the board. I mean, you want to know about corners, ask receivers. You want to know about receivers, ask corners. You want to know about, you know, D tackles, ask guards. You know, I mean, that's what they do typically, um, you know, at those at the senior bowl. They'll ask, hey, you know, the offensive lineman, who was the defensive lineman that stood out to you? And players are usually pretty block. honest. Yeah, good point. All right, more stuff. That's what they said about Trey Lance. They t- Kyle Shanahan in particular talked about the offensive line coach, Chris Forrester, and this – I had to, like, rewind it. I, I don't know what the question was. It was about having to replace all these coaches. Right. And he went to Mike McDaniel, and he kind of, like, scoffed. Like, everyone thinks it's going to be such a big deal to replace McDaniel. I mean, nothing against McDaniel. I was – we worked together for a long time, but he was my assistant. Everyone, you know, yeah, he was a run game coordinator. He did a lot of stuff. He learned the run game from Chris Forrester in Washington. That was, I was like, what? Oh, okay. So Kyle doesn't really care. And I cares, but he's not really concerned. It's just someone else he has to delegate to, a new assistant. I thought it was eye-opening, too, because it, it it reveals a mindset that is a truism around the league, which is that your offensive line coach means a ton. Yeah. McKittrick meant a ton to the Niners. Dante Zarnecchia meant a ton to the Patriots. Alex Gibbs meant a ton to the Broncos. Uh, you know, Hudson Hawk. meant a ton to, to Harbaugh. 
Yep. Hudson line. Hawk made a ton, you know, meant a ton to the Cowboys of the 90s. O-line, your elite O-line coach is is an incredibly valuable coach. And obviously they they view Forrester as an elite guy. And he basically said so today. And I was always wondering, what is it about Forrester that keeps him – I think he's one of the higher paid position coaches in the league. Why? Because really the Niners don't have a great track record of drafting and developing offensive linemen. But what Kyle basically said today was, yeah, he's been on the team about three years. I mean – He's kind of been the architect of the run game. And if you think about it, the run game really has taken on a new life the last three years when Debo Samuel's gotten here. It's become much different than it was the first two years here with Matt Breida. Anyway, I guess he's saying, yeah, that's that's the old guy, not the young guy. That's designing the run game and the diversification of the run game. It's a diverse rushing attack. They're you know using a bunch of different backs. They're using different formations, different type runs. And Forster, obviously, they feel is is the key factor there in teaching their offense. It all comes down to teaching, I think. And ultimately, it sounds like Forster is the guy who's like the respected teacher in the room. Also, it's like there are the wise old heads who are the architects of what the offense is going to look like in the offseason. Kyle, Chris Forster, maybe Mike Shanahan. And then there are the people doing the grunt work on a day-to-day basis during the season. The people, because like, Kyle can't do everything. So it's like, Kyle's like, hey, Mike, watch these clips of the upcoming opponent. Tell me what they do on in these situations. All the things he doesn't want to do and trust Mike to do. I guess that's how he looks at it. It's like, yeah, I mean, I trust him, but I'm not asking him for his input on the big picture of things. Or maybe he was, I don't know. Well, I was, you know, I was told a couple of years ago that John Benton was a key figure in the 49er rushing attack. And he was the Niner O-line coach, I think, pre-Forster, wasn't he? Uh, Benton. Well, uh, I mean, look, 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 he's now in the, with the Jets. Look at their running game. Look at the Niners running game. Maybe that's the Chris Forster effect. Well, we're, we're going to find out. The one thing about Forster, though, he's, you know, the one thing about the Niners is they, they sure have a lot of different ways to run it. They got a bunch of different looking backs. They got receivers that can run. They've got Ray Ray McLeod, who's a gadget guy. You just had a Danny Gray. Uh, they've got weapons. They got weapons. And so on paper, they've got all the ingredients to have a diverse rushing attack. And now it's about, you know, the old line coach who can, who can design it and make it go. I'm looking him up real quick. Chris Forster was the he's been around forever but he was the offensive line coach for washington in yeah. 2012 when they had all those rushing yards uh from the pistol with robert griffin the third i wonder if we're going to see some of that offense take, i'm sure it's evolved since then but chris forrester was there Maybe we'll I, don't think, I could see that i could see that mm-hmm. being part of the mix um, why not? Why not take advantage of all the all, all the ways that Trey can have an advantage on a defense? And using him out of the pistol is probably a great idea. Um, at, le- at least it makes it another look to have to defend. I always thought the pistol was kind of genius. It, it allows you to have a play-action passing game. It allows you to run both left and right. Uh, you can do outside zone. I, I always liked it. I understand why it kind of got phased out. Did it? Well, I don't know if it got phased out as much as that there weren't – who was using it? I mean, the 49ers were using it. I mean, you see an isolated pistol – yeah, I mean, you see an isolated yeah. pistol formation around the league, but it's hardly yeah. staple. Yeah. It's not a staple. All right. This also interests me. But last year it was Trey Lance that you weren't allowed to talk about. They didn't utter his name. This year it's as if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't exist. Maybe that doesn't surprise you, but – it just seems like the Niners are really committing to this. They're like, yeah, he could come back for training camp, 
We're not ruling it out. We might have a quarterback competition, but actually we're not going to talk about him. It's like it's as if he doesn't exist, and let's tell you all the things we like about Trey Lance. So this makes me feel like, to your point, I'm probably going to lose that bet with my dad, and Jimmy's probably not going to be on this team. He's probably never going to put a jersey on, step on the field ever again. doesn't seem no. like it. No, it doesn't. It's and it sounds very much like he's going to move on. I was watching an interview with Brock Purdy that he did from a few weeks back, and Purdy was asked, "Hey, have you met the quarterbacks?" He's like, "Yeah, I have met the quarterbacks." And they're like, uh, "Who have you met?" Well, I met J- I met Trey, and I met uh, Sudfeld. Uh, and then, have you met Jimmy? No, no, I haven't. He's like, met he's like who? What? Yeah, he's like, no. It, he said it in a way like it was. It, it's like he was saying, "I haven't met Jimmy." And I don't plan to meet Jimmy. Exactly. Same thing. Same a couple of days later or a couple of weeks later with Brian Greasy. Have you talked to Jimmy? No. No. End of of answer. Like, okay, so if no one's talking to him and he's totally disconnected from the team, are you really just going to bring him back at training camp after Trey Lance just, by all accounts, blew everyone away in practice the last couple of weeks? Why would you do that? So, yeah, it seems like somehow the Niners are going to get out of this. I don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe they're gonna. It's gonna be like they're gonna swap sixth round picks with a team. That's what I think. Something like that. Swap six. I mean, you know, it's it is so bizarre because it right. sounds like is he going to Seattle? Is he not going to Seattle? A lot. And Lewis Riddick talked this week about how he'd be the perfect fit in Seattle. And I, you know, is it possible that that's why they're holding on to him at this point, just because they know he's going to Seattle and why give him to Seattle in May when you can give him to Seattle in July and have the two months, you know, on your ledger instead of theirs? I mean, I I don't know. I don't know what the plan is, but uh, that and or Cleveland as a replacement for for Deshaun Watson. But even the finances don't make sense there. I don't know. I don't know where he's going, but Kyle's main maintained uh, publicly multiple times that he will not be released. Right. I mean, he's made that point. I don't he know. Said it over and over and over. Again. Yeah. I mean, uh, to me, that means you either have an agreed to deal of some co- some degree from probably a day three pick or some day three pick swap or some player. There must be some deal agreed to already for a nominal price. Otherwise, I can't imagine they're going to get any significant price, but I can't imagine he'll be released after the stance they've t- stances they've taken. Let's go back to your first point, that the Niners might be afraid that the Seahawks would sign Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm a jerk, but from my standpoint, I would want the Seahawks to sign Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'd be like, you have to play You have to play him. Please play Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> That's who we want to see. I mean, look, I know Jimmy Garoppolo has done some good things, but if any team knows how to shut down Jimmy Garoppolo, it's the Niners. I've seen him do it in practice over and over and over. I've seen Fred Warner intercept Jimmy Garoppolo Dozens of times. So, yeah, I think there's worse things that could happen than Seahawks. Well, that's one way to look at it, but look at it this way. What if he goes to Seattle and plays well? Now you look bad on on two fronts. Lynch looks bad because he didn't get anything for a player who's now succeeding against him. And Kyle and the offensive coaches kind of look bad because Pete and their offensive coaches are getting more out of Jimmy than than they could get out of Jimmy. So – I, to me, hey. it's a double lose if he goes to Seattle and they get nothing in return. If he I goes there and plays well. It would be quite dramatic. Yeah. In the division, cast aside, picked up by the Seahawks, outplays Trey Lance. That can't happen. Yeah, I see what you mean. I don't think it would happen. I mean, what's more likely to happen is he goes there, he's a starting quarterback, he gets hurt week one, and they're down to Drew Locke, just like they were beforehand. Sorry. 
I'm just saying what's true, most likely. True, but well, you know yeah. they do have Kenneth Walker. They do have an exciting. They did draft some bookend tackles. They did have a decent draft. They do have Lockett. They do have Metcalf. You know they do have some weapons. And it's like you know it's not like Jimmy would go there with with nothing. He would have. He wouldn't be bare. He would have some talent surrounding him. How long before DK Metcalf just completely loses it with Jimmy? There's no downfield passing attack to speak of. He just stops running those routes. Oh my God, I can't. I really want this to happen. Please, football gods, make Jimmy one near <laughs> Seattle. We don't ask for much. It would be great. <laughs> it would be great for talking points. All right, more things from today's state of the franchise. This was fascinating. Kyle says too much. It's almost that guy's like, he needs he needs an attorney to be like, all right, it's enough. Right, right there. That's. And they, if you watch the highlights, they cut him off. If you watch the full thing, he goes. Talking about Drake Jackson, starts saying, like, you know, we watched all the defensive linemen, and he was, you know, sort of ranked 10th where they thought he was going to go. We thought he was just, he was better than the rest, that he could have been the number one defensive lineman taken. He said that, which is great. I mean, like, I'm glad they feel that way. Saying it publicly, I mean, it doesn't put more pressure on Drake. It puts more pressure on the 49ers. Like, why would you put your own draft analysis out there? Because he probably won't be the – anyway, I thought that was quite a prediction. Wow. This, to me, is the most interesting player coming out of the offseason OTAs and minicamp because the talk about Drake Jackson, in my mind, is not matching what I'm seeing on the field. So – Bring it on. Let's check it out in July. Somebody's going to be right. Somebody's going to be wrong. We can't all be right. You know what I'm saying? It's like he, to me, he looks like he's carrying bad weight and he looks like he's got a, he's a speed rusher with no counter moves. And he looks like a guy who needs to drop 15 and, and uh, you know, I don't know. I, I doesn't, he doesn't look like this dominant force, but everybody who talks about him talks about him in these glowing terms. Like he's a pro bowler. Let's see it. <laughs> Let's see it this summer. Something tells me that the narrative is going to change between today and preseason. That's just a prediction. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I don't really. To me, it's like they weren't in pads. They didn't do one on ones. What are these? What are people really saying about Drake Jackson? It seems like they're saying we liked his tape. You know, we liked him. There's a reason we drafted him. He, we had him ranked higher than 61. He was the best player available. He's the youngest guy on the team. Forget about what you see right now. It, he's going to get there. Okay, maybe, maybe. And, and, and they actually said he's probably going to be better than Aiden Hutchinson and uh, Trevon Walker. Or that he has <laughs> All right. You know what? Bring it on. Bring it on. Let's see it. Let's see it. Because that's, that's awfully glowing terms. If the guy can play at all, if he can play in the rotation at all, I think that will be a, a you know a significant thing. Kyle likes to call his shots. He did it two years ago when he drafted Brandon Knight. Traded up for him. I think a lot of people were like, "Did you really need to trade up for Brandon Ayuk? Like, really?" And he was like, "Not only did I need to trade up for him, he was my second favorite wide receiver in the draft after C.D. Lamb." It's like, oh, okay. Well, I'll remember that the rest of your career, Kyle. Yeah. And let's see if he really was the second best wide receiver in the draft. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he was. But Kyle likes to, when you question him, he puffs up his chest and says, like, "Actually, let me tell you exactly." He's almost like Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. You know what I mean? He's like, you can't handle the truth. It's like, yeah, I traded up for Brandon Ayuk. That's why. <laughs> it's kind of like the Trent Balky where I wrote uh, AJ Jenkins' name in an envelope, uh, yeah. and you know who cares, yeah. Trent? He sucks. <laughs> anyway, Drake Jackson, no pressure. 
Now, official BNA Music eighty eight says, "Get why get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo? Guys with lipstick on his neck and spreadsheet say he's better than Trey." I firmly believe that, Jim, that Trey's been better than Jimmy the whole time, but I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Well, I, I will say this: uh, I liked what I saw out of the out of the kid Purdy. So I don't know. We'll we'll see what Purdy looks like this summer. They got a very cheap. They got they've got to have the cheapest, most inexpensive quarterback room in the entire league. Yeah, absolutely. Once I get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, which they still haven't. <laughs> Keep it together. Breathe through. Well, the, breathe gonna, in. It's funny that every couple of days we we'll go on Twitter and Jimmy Garoppolo training number one. I'm like, oh great, there's new information, and it's just a new drawing of him by Rita Oak. I mean, right. She's very clever. I'm She's like, getting good love out of it. It's like getting rickrolled. It's like not again. No news. Just a new drawing. How, how are guys, I guess, going to time a, a video on it if uh, if if it's all false alarms? I know, right? So what? So what's going to happen is like, okay, it's it's June fifteenth. In a month, we're going to get a report that Jimmy Garoppolo is throwing. Is that what's going to happen? And then a week later, they're going to swap six round picks with some team to get rid of him. Uh, I would say he's going to get healthy in the next what next three four weeks, and yeah. then probably Fourth of July, something like that, right around there. He'll they'll probably make a move. But, I mean, bizarre to this point for sure. Um, at this point, you have to get something because it's been this long. But we'll see if it's fun. We'll see if it's fun. Yeah, something. I mean, uh, to me, I think you gotta you got to get something. Otherwise, you got to wonder the wisdom of holding him this long. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see that sixth-round pick that they get. I'm sorry. More. More. Kyle Shanahan going on tangents. Talking about Drake Jackson, says, um, we often say, hold on, I wrote it down because it was so amazing to me that he said this publicly. We like to stockpile defensive linemen here, and we'll worry about the offensive pieces and everything else later. People be like, are you sure we need our 18th defensive lineman? If they're that good, yes, you do. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. That is, And he's been very clear about that every year. That this is the number one position, most important position in football, other than I guess quarterback, defensive line. Do you agree? Twenty twenty two. Yeah, I do. It's kind of like when you can't move the quarterback, you just start sitting there and you're just going to get crushed, and it's yeah. just a matter of how. Um, so yeah, when you when you it's like bullets in your gun. When you do when you run out of defensive linemen, you run out of bullets. When you run out of bullets, the gunfight's over. So, yes, I, I would say defensive linemen um, are the foundation piece of, especially if you're an offensive coach and you're thinking, always thinking of how can people stop me? It's a dominant defensive line. We just saw it in the NFC Championship game. It's true. I disagree, though. And I know it's important, but it seems like, especially this team with Chris Kasarik, they can get really good defensive linemen like they find running backs. I mean, it's not hard for them to do it. Now, it's always good to invest in, in defensive linemen, but – the Niners take this to an extreme, and what they have is a top-five defense with a really great pass rush, but they still struggle on third down because of their secondary, which Traverius Ward is here to address that, and they still like consistently year after year are among the lowest in the league in interceptions. And I feel like they're always like, well, you know, pass rush leads to picks. Not for you, apparently. So all I would say is, yes, defensive line is really important, but a big part of their value is run defense, which frankly is less and less important as, as every year in the NFL. Um and, and you can get run defenders without investing much. You can get DJ Jones in, in round six. To me, 
Defensive linemen, they're important, but you can get them. I think you start to see a shift. Look at what Pittsburgh did today. They gave a lot of money to a safety. I don't know if they would have done that 15 years ago. That's a kind of an old-school organization, but they just gave Minka Fitzpatrick $40 million guaranteed. That's that's new. I mean, at least they're, I'll say this about the Niners are consistent. They you are. Know, I mean, you know, going back a couple of years ago, they remember that Raider game where they put a lot of heat on the quarterback and got turnovers on the back end. And they, it, there are a lot of people in the NFL on defense that believe that the NFL defensively is a rush and cover game and that it's all about you know, dialing up heat on the quarterback and then, you know, coverage on the back end, but cover, but coverage comes second and that rush comes first and that you'd much rather have a great rush and questionable secondary than questionable line and a great secondary. Cause the, uh, the thinking is, is that you could have Dion and old man, Willie Brown on the corners and Ronnie Lott and red Reed at safeties. But if the quarterback's got five seconds to survey the field, he's going to complete passes. Obviously, to me, that's not really the the argument, though. It's like you want you need to be good at both places to win a Super Bowl. You need to be good everywhere, right? But we, the question is, where are you going to spend your biggest? Where are you going to make your biggest investments? Do you does a team like the Niners really need to make big time investments in the D line when they have guys like Kamoko Ture, Samson Ebukam, Kentavious uh, Street? I'm not him anymore. Kevin Gibbons. I mean, just an endless supply of good role players who can platoon. Um, I think they've shown more success with that than the fifth round DB that they're always trying to sell us on. You know what I mean? Definitely. I think it's a numbers game for sure too. I mean, they, they want to make sure that they have, um, you know, coach Eric has these guys playing at a crazy speed. Right. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing whole lines. You're seeing this line come out, that line go in. He's got multiple lines. He's rolling through and he wants guys playing with their hair on fire and then raise your hand and come on off and, and we'll rotate the next four guys in there. So I think that's, that's part of their, their mindset. And um, you know, uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if it's going it to – it hasn't netted them a Super Bowl yet, but they've been pretty consistent as a contender. I think the best example of this mindset is Eric Armstead. Eric Armstead, they pay him – they're about to be paying him $22 million a year in a couple – next year for essentially dominant run defense. And he's very good. And he does give you some pass rush too. But, like, Bill Belichick traded Richard Seymour. Bill Belichick would not spend this much money on Eric Armstead. He would have traded him. Belichick spends on the back seven. He tries to. That's his area of expertise. Right. He tries to scheme up pressure with blitzes and rotational players. That's just how he does it. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm just, it's two schools of thought. The Niners are very set in their ways. I think it's kind of old school. It's consistent. It's consistent. uh, It's an organizational philosophy that goes beyond Lynch. He went beyond bulky. I mean, we're talking about it goes back to guys like John Marshall and McPherson and those guys, the Niners. I mean, even their Super Bowl year, if you go back to 84, maybe the greatest Niner team of all time, their dominating defense was all about 10 deep up front. I mean, they had, they had just had so many guys. Now they had Eric Wright, and they had Ronnie Lott. They had they had great DBs, but they they had depth up front. And I think yeah. that's what they're that's the consistent theme in the organization. You can never. It's like starting pitching in baseball. Can you ever have enough defensive linemen in the NFL? Can you ever have enough? And the answer I think is no. No, but that. But I feel like what you just said is different from what the Niners do. You want depth on the defensive line. I agree. You want great DBs. I agree. You know what I'm saying? I think the Niners 
have no problem finding depth on their defensive line. Now, it doesn't hurt to have Nick Bosa, but I can't help but notice that the year he missed every freaking game, except for one, top five defense. Because they had a great corner that year out of nowhere in Jason Barrett. I'm just saying. But anyway, the one thing, the one change I'll say in time <clears throat> is that now quarterbacks, in, and there could be that three-step drop and the ball comes out. So you can neutralize an elite defensive line to some degree. But if you can coordinate the rest of your defense and play fast behind that line, even if guys are getting the ball out fast, they're still not making plays down the field. No, definitely not. But I do feel like that's the trend. On offense, shotgun, ball out quicker, get the ball to playmakers in space. Look what the Dolphins are trying to do. They have Tua. They're just going to get the butt of his hands in a, in a millisecond and have it all be about Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Well, if that's – where the where the league is going, then that really neutral that really minimizes the impact a defensive lineman can make straight up, and that's yeah. why I feel like you're seeing contracts skyrocketing for wide receivers and DBs because that's it's a space game now. Anyway, it maybe absolutely is. The NFC West is a is more of a physical division. Maybe. Uh, no question, but yeah. um, but you're also dealing. You know, you're seeing more pa- more hitch passes, more let's get on the edges as fast as possible, and see if we can get big playability by doing it. That's what the Niners do. Yeah, run or pass. Yeah. All right. Uh, that those are our Niner topics for today. The Warriors play tomorrow. You think they're going to win tomorrow? I mean, I do. You think they're going to win tomorrow? Tell me about it. I do. Well, because, um, you know, Boston, I think Golden State's deeper. And I think uh, now that they've settled into the series, um, I, I think Golden State, I think, you know, first of all, you got game six, Clay. He always plays well in game six. I think Draymond's going to have a, have a, a, you know, a big effort after he was disappointing earlier in Boston. I think Cle- uh, Steph Curry is clearly going to bounce back from a down shooting performance. And I, I think Golden State is a much, much deeper basketball team. I mean, when I say that, I'm talking about, you know, there's the Warriors have like nine guys who could be considered starters. The Celtics have six. And and it's to me, the Celtics stole game one with a barrage of three pointers. Otherwise, the series would already be over. Uh, I took Warriors and six, and maybe that's why I'm leaning towards it at the beginning. So I'll stay with my Warriors and six. But I think they're getting it done. I think they're going to, I think in some ways, they're even more focused and better on the road. And th- this no hostile territory is going to bother them. It's a bunch of veteran guys. I expect them to go um, and, and have a dominant first quarter and win by. 15 it does sort of feel like they figured out the celtics at this point like they know the matchups that work uh, and it seems like especially the defense is just smothering boston right now and it was interesting watching the series jordan Poole's very important on this team and he has moments where he can play like steph on offense but he also has moments where he does nothing on offense and he isn't aggressive and he's terrible on defense and what i thought was in the last interesting the last game was he actually shot really well in game five I think three for six from from three, but he didn't play that much. Gary Payton, the second, had like 28 minutes. Yeah. And I think that was like such a good call on Steve Kerr's part because Gary Payton is one of their better defenders and he had a bunch of steals. He makes a bigger impact. I think he's a more important person in the series than Poole. 
some players are better than their stats yeah. in different sports, all different sports. Gary Payton's one of those guys. He's better than his stats. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, to me, if there's one common denominator of the Warriors losing games this year, it's that Kerr has not played Payton enough in those games. And so I think he's gotten it at this point. I think he's going to play Payton. Um, and I, I think Golden State wins. I, I, I also think when you look at Boston, they don't have a point guard. Yeah. And, and, and when you play Payton, as a defender and you know boston look at golden state they had like six or seven turnovers mm-hmm. boston had a boatload of turnovers mm-hmm. and it's because golden state without you know if you don't have a point guard if you don't have an ability to handle the handle the basketball and you go up against gary payton turnovers are absolutely coming and that's what I we're mean, seeing essentially their point guard is tatum and yeah. he's not a point guard and what's interesting the way they they're constructed like just for them to initiate offense you have Tatum or Brown sort of taking turns from like 30 feet away. They start really far away and they like, like they're guards. It's like if they had a, a system or a point guard, maybe they could get them the ball a little closer to the basket before they start. I don't know. I mean, they're Tatum's six, eight, but he plays like he's Damian Lillard. Doesn't oh, make it's amazing. Sense. I mean, he loves Kobe and he honors Kobe and he, and, and that's awesome, yeah. but he's not Kobe. He, no. you know, he, he's more like a, a power forward or a, or a small forward. Kobe was a two guard who could have been who could have played some point. They're not the same player, but you see Tatum Kobe and he loves. The to, yeah, exactly. But Tatum loves to pound the dribble out front and set things up. And if you give him enough space, if you crowd him on the perimeter, he's uncomfortable. But if you give him space to kind of dribble it back and forth and he can get his footwork down, he becomes a really high percentage shooter. But I'll tell you what they need, what Boston needs to do that they've gotten away from early in this series, Tatum, Horford and Williams all would catch entry passes right in the lane three three feet from the hoop and golden state wouldn't even bother fouling them grant they would just literally let them shoot the ball because it was just like oh you're gonna get the ball here we can't stop you here they've totally gone away from that boston has totally missed they don't understand their mismatch against golden state's inside and they're they're not feeding the post and and basically making golden state foul them instead they're giving golden state a break by just dribbling and shooting from the perimeter one more person I think needs a ton of credit is Wiggins. Oh, Wiggins, yeah. I mean, his career is so amazing. Like, LeBron just cast him aside to bring in Kevin Love. Had to play all those years in Minnesota, and now, like, he's a terrific role player. His defense is terrific. His rebounding is terrific. He's a good enough shooter and a good enough offensive player. Like, I feel like if they had – he's way better than Harrison Barnes was. Yeah, he this, is. And like, Better defender, not, better handle. Yeah, and the Warriors never needed Kevin Durant. Like, Kevin Durant was overkill. If they had just had Wiggins this whole time, how many rings would they have right now? Well, I, you know, Durant's a different level than Wiggins, but I will of say course. this about, about Wiggins. Wiggins is is a cat, you know, some guys have that that personality that they just want to cut your heart out. Other guys are just easy going. He's easy going. He's an easygoing, likable guy, which is why he's fit on this team because there's so many other options that he doesn't demand the ball. He's right. not like, hey, I'm the guy and popping his jersey and and real right. braggadocious. He's not like that. He's an easygoing guy who fits in. But guess and what? And he got crushed for not being that guy in Minnesota. And now exactly. it's like and, and, yeah. and he's never gotten the respect that he deserves. And he's made nothing but money. He's got a you know, he's got a bank account for that's very, very that says 
you're an incredible success, and yet he doesn't have any respect around the league. And he, even though this year he made the All Star team, but he really lacks respect, and he lacks a ring. And now it's like he's there's blood in the water, and he's a shark, and he is out there, and he can taste it. And now he knows he's one strong two way effort away from getting the respect in the ring and having it all. And I expect him to fire a huge effort in Game Six. Coming into this series, I was thinking this was probably going to be like the last dance for the Warriors. I mean, Steph's thirty-four; these guys are all in their thirties, but now like they have Wiggins, they have Peyton, they have Poole. I mean, they do have younger guys that are contributing in this series. I'm not talking about Wiseman and Kaminga. I don't know what they are, but it does seem like maybe they could run it back next year if they can keep everyone. You know, that that's, you know, the, the debate is going to be, how do you keep it together? They have a $340 million payroll. They're paying the repeater tax. I mean, Lakeup's maintained that he will pay it. He'll pay the yeah. freight to keep the team together. But like there was, I think it was a lot of people assumed they would trade Wiggins this off season. We can't, you're not doing that now. Yeah. And a lot of people thought, well, are they going to extend pool or not? Well, you got to extend him now the way he's played. So pools back. Wiggins is back. What does that mean? Does that mean Clay Thompson or Draymond green finished their hall of fame careers elsewhere because we know Steph ain't going anywhere they're not going to not bring the loony back so you know it's going to be interesting if James Wiseman is is anything but a total if he's if he's a bust then who knows but if he's anything close to the player they thought they were getting they're going to be one of the title contenders for the next four or five years I'm not sold on pool long term he is a, a nice offensive player he's a sixth man to me I mean is he a starting point guard on a, on a championship team I'm not sure I don't think so. No, no. His shot selections. I mean, and Kerr was rolling his eyes for that that's that uh, ridiculous shot that he took. I think in the second quarter, yeah. he's a, he's a talented player though, and he works really really hard. I mean, that's he's an example, Grant, of a guy who's got good talent and crazy work ethic. And sure. sometimes good players work themselves into being very good players just on the on the you know like a Jerry Rice, Roger Craig type work ethic. I'm just talking, I'm saying like if there's one player to trade, it's not Wiggins. I might lean pool, but it, it can you even trade him or is he an unrestricted free agent? I don't know. No, I, you, I think you can trade him. You could sign and trade pool, I think. Something about Eric yeah. says I was at the event with, with like 70-ish fans. They let us pick one thing free from Team Store. I got an on-field Kittle 359 jersey for free. Thanks, Al Guido. Man, that's cool. nice. Wow. Anything? Wow. That's like uh, you know. It's like uh, the old, uh, you know, prices, not prices right, but, you know, uh, uh, that, you know, remember Chuck Woolery with his, with his, uh, was it pre Pat Sajak? Uh, oh, yeah. Wheel of Fortune. Go shopping. <laughs> well, looking forward to this game tomorrow. Looking forward to some new Niners news, although it's just going to be a new uh, drawing of Jimmy Garoppolo. It's the <laughs> That's right. There's going to be, is there going to be any Niner news at all until camp? Probably not. One of these days we're going to hear that Jimmy's throwing the ball. One of these days we might hear that Debo signed a contract. But other than that, hopefully no news, right? Because no, oh, oh, you only know, be injuries. Bad news at this time of year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Guess we'll see, Larry. What do you got going on this week? Um, you know, I'm I'm doing a tomorrow's going to be a big Warrior Day, Grant. I'm doing a a, a um, live stream at 11 a.m. on the Krug Show uh, YouTube channel with Larry Harris, the Warriors like GM assistant to Bob Myers, and then we'll do a post game tomorrow night after Warriors Celtics talking basketball after uh, final the final buzzer of the game. Nice. Yeah, I'll be tuning in. Thanks for watching, everyone. Thank you, Larry. Thank you.